Do you ever struggle with your fuzzy brain? I do. Welcome to the Uncluttered Office Podcast. Here I share what I've discovered from my challenges with ADHD and chemo brain. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. I'm a former Wall Streeter, now certified productive environment specialist and ADHD productivity coach with well over 20 years of experience in business, office design, and productivity. I'm a badass cancer survivor and thriver, wife, mom of a teen and a cat, and a lifelong geek. I'm old enough now to be proud of it. I've learned that whether we lose our keys, misplace our files, or constantly forget our appointments, we can design a work and home life that is simpler, easier, and fits who we are with our unique brains. I believe that to be truly productive, we need to learn how to be intentionally unproductive. A strange twist for a productivity coach. But hey, I love to ski, sail, and surf. Listen in and learn how to streamline your space and systems so you can be more focused, organized, and have more time to be intentionally unproductive. Avery of ProductivityByDesign.com and your host of the Uncluttered Office podcast. I am super excited because I have Benjamin Lloyd on today and he is in the world of improv, which is going to be super fun. We were just saying before we started that having a podcast is like having an improv, so we'll talk about that too. He is the executive director of Bright Invention which uses improvisation to empower people and organizations to unlock their potential. He created their innovative learning and development program called Creative Corporate Training, which uses scenarios performed by actors to help companies solve people problems. He's a graduate of Yale College and the Yale School of Drama. Welcome. Glad to be here. I am psyched you are here. I'm going to assume you'd like to go by Ben for this conversation. Shorter, more efficient. Let's use Ben. On the fly, Ben. So let's talk about how you decided to go from acting to running improv corporate workshops. Sure. Well, it was my midlife crisis, actually. You know, I had been a professional stage actor for 20 years becoming a single dad and having two teenage kids to raise and a mortgage to pay and burning out, just burning out economically, psychologically, just physically exhausted all the time, you know, not being able to spend a lot of time at home because I'm racing from one adjunct teaching job to another or from one rehearsal to another. And so I really, I knew that I needed to make a change in my life and I was terrified. And I had this idea of an organization that is focused on improvisation, which has, and initially it was an economic idea. I became convinced that the nonprofit ecosystem for actors is not unfair. It's just unsustainable because theater is so expensive. And unlike film and television, it doesn't make a lot of money. So everybody's impoverished all the time, right? So I had this idea about a performance genre that I had just become acquainted with and was really excited about and required nothing else but an empty room, an audience, and some actors. And that was sort of the beginning. And it's interesting because I've talked to a fair amount of really great public speakers. And what they've said is, if you're not doing Toastmaster, you should be doing improv or Mm -hmm. do both. 
Mm-hmm. I'm in Toastmasters right now. I have to say I'm a little chicken to do improv. <laughs> what are you chicken of? I feel like I would get on the stage and not know what to say. Uh, that is exactly, that is 90% of the people who don't do improv, that is their fear, that right? they'll not know what to say. Yeah. It's not the whole getting on stage or acting or any of that. I think it would be really fun. It's this deep fear of you would say something and I would have no idea how to respond. And I'd just be standing there like. Yeah, but look at us right now, Catherine. Right? True. We're talking. We're having a conversation. That's what improv is. And one of the dirty little secrets is people think it matters what you say. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It does not matter what you say. One of my favorite slogans about improv is that improv is ready, fire, aim. Mm. And that's a hard one. If you're you're a type A personality who's used to a lot of sort of planning and logistics, that's a really challenging aspect of improv. But but it's true. And it's funny because I think a lot of two worlds have a lot of ready, fire, aim. In addition to that, entrepreneurship. Mm Mm-hmm. Hate to say there's a little bit of that. And mm-hmm. people who have ADHD were kind of naturally inclined, which I am, to mm-hmm. do ready, fire, aim. But I think I have so much corporate background. It's been sort of drilled into my head. Hmm. Well, what you that. learn is that you learn to trust your instincts. That's part of what improv does for you. Mm. And it is a, a really creative way to slowly chip away at our self-doubt. Once we realize that it doesn't matter what we say and that we are able to trust the person we're on stage with to respond to whatever it is that we say, astonishing growth takes place. Astonishing growth that affects every other aspect of our lives. That's fascinating. Now, one of the ways you use improv in your business is to help clients. And I feel like you recently worked with a client where they were dealing with the whole man versus woman way of looking at the world. Am I making that up? One of the You're same- probably thinking of a workshop we did for a large pharmaceutical company, which was focused on helping women within this department find their voices in a male-dominated mm-hmm. workplace. And so we created several scenarios which you know, demonstrated women in meetings kind of getting steamrolled. Right. Which kind of happens because I used to work in corporate. Yeah. And um, the woman who hired us for that at Merck is now the chairman of our board of directors. Fun. She was so astonished and amazed at what happened as a result of that workshop that when she finally moved on from Merck, she was like, I need to do something with my life. And I think it's you. (laughs) So. Okay. I was like, great, we need a leader. We need a leader, so you're perfect. So That's fantastic. I love that story. Yeah. So you can take really sort of any work scenario and improv it. So what we do is, one of the other light bulb moments for me was feeling that role play, as it's generally used in training and human resources workshops, is inherently unfair and that it creates potentially so much anxiety in the participants that very little learning gets done. And what people remember about the experience isn't so much what the trainer's trying to teach them. What they remember is how awful and embarrassed they felt doing it. And so 
Now, I haven't done any sort of serious, like, you know, statistic-based study on this. But from the people that I've spoken to in corporate America, I have gotten confirmation from many that role play is like, hate it, hate it, hate it. I can't say I'm a fan. Yeah. You know, what I thought to myself was, well, why not get people who to do the role play who love doing role play? And that would be, let's see. Oh, actors. So what we say is we do the role playing and you do the problem solving. We actually, when we serve clients, we, we do a little bit of pure improvisation, but most of it is what's called structured improvisation. And that means that we create a scenario that has a beginning and a middle and an end. Right. And it has a sequence of actions and two characters in a location that the actors all understand. Um, and that get, gets sort of co-designed with the client that we're serving. And within it, the actors are able to enact a, a, an encounter from start to finish But because there's no lines, they can take feedback from the group we're serving and change their performances. How interesting. Yeah. So I always say the first time they see a scenario, the client's group sees a scenario, it's a fiasco. Because what we're we're demonstrating is a problem. Right. We're demonstrating something not going well. So I turn to the client group and I say, how'd that go? And they go, oh, that did not go very well at all. And I, and I say, tell I, me that's not me, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> and I want to get to that. That's a great point. And there's a way we deal with that too. And I say, I agree. So, so how can we make it better? And people start raising their hands and say things like, uh, well, he needs to stop interrupting her. He needs to let her finish her sentences. I'm like, okay, what else? She's mumbling. She needs to work on her speech. I'm like, great. And we develop a conversation about what we're seeing. And then I turn to the actors and I say, okay, so Bob, let's do it again. But this time, don't interrupt her. And Shay, if, if you can just really work on being really clear when you speak and we do a replay. Right. And they watch it get better. But maybe it's not where it needs to be yet. So then we have more discussions about it. And then we have discussions about what does this have to do with the workplace that you're in? Mm. You know, and because we're not talking about anybody in the room right? We're talking about these characters in a scenario. So there's this automatic distance that this is, this is what theater, this is the magic mojo of theater, is this dramatic distance where we can actually experience extraordinary personal discoveries because we're not on stage. We're watching somebody else go through it, right? So you take all the angst out of it. Yeah. And sometimes the Sometimes, though, like you asked, like, what if somebody's like, oh, my God, that's us, that's us, right? So part of what we do then is we create scenarios that have distance. And that means that we'll create a scenario that takes place backstage at a rodeo. Or if we're serving an IT company, we'll create a scenario that takes place at a hospital, right? That's illustrating the same problem that the IT company is dealing with but it's in a completely different workspace. And so nobody in the room is going like, oh, that's me. Yeah. Can you imagine? Right. Oh, I see my boss wrote about me and sent this in to Ben. Right. And- <laughs> right. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of different strategies that we use to make sure that the, that, that the content we're delivering is going to be useful. That's amazing. And we leave time at the end. I always say, anybody want to play in? Anybody want to play one of these characters? Does anybody want to actually bring up a new kind of scenario? That way the hams in the audience have a chance to raise their hands. And everyone's like, oh, you know, go Catherine, go Catherine. So Catherine jumps up and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, all right, Catherine. 
And sometimes the people who jump up are like, you know what, I want to actually do a little something a little different and astonishing stuff appears, you know, from that. So anyway, that's a little bit of a capsule. We always begin with games and exercises before we get to the scenarios. So everyone's opened up. Exactly. Get them all sort of pumped up and in the moment. And just feeling, feeling feelings. Right. Right. Feeling safe about feeling feelings. So we make sure that we laugh a lot together before we get to the scenarios by playing games where people are making mistakes and everybody's applauding them. Right. And we're all laughing together and stuff like that. So have you ever had anyone like have a serious breakdown, sobbing moment? I hope not. Oh, no, I have. Yeah. One in particular, we were serving a the staff for a city council person and... As soon as we got into the room, you could cut the tension like a knife. And what I thought we were doing was we were creating a workshop to because the staff that actually worked in City Hall was not getting along with the staff that worked in the district. So I thought that's what this was about, right? So we started out with our games and everybody's kind of like, Tim, boing, how, right? I'm like, okay, they're, they're, you know, they're finding their way into it slowly. So I started having a conversation about the games after we played the games and everyone's just kind of like, you know, looking and we're in this enclosed conference room and everyone's looking really grim. Finally, this guy raises his hand and he goes, excuse me, I'm sure you're really good at what you do. And I'm sure that, you know, this is useful in some other circumstances, but I got to tell you right now, this is BS because we're not talking about what we really need to talk about. Whoa. Boom. (laughs) It's like, well, all right then. And right then I knew everything I had had planned for that day was out the window, (laughs) out the window. Yep. Talk about improv. You really had to go on the fly, right? And the two actors are sitting behind me like (laughs) mouth open. So I said, uh, okay, so let me hold a safe space so that I can hear what we all need, what you all need to talk about. We're going to do this one at a time. I'd like you to talk to me and not to anybody else in the room and use I statements, you know, a lot of sort of basic facilitation practice. And it turned out there was something very scary going on, which I'm actually not at liberty to discuss publicly, but there was something very scary going on and everybody needed to talk about it. And the woman who hired me had literally a small nervous breakdown, convulsive sobbing, couldn't speak, needed to like leave the room and collect herself and then come back and you know, so I hope it was ultimately helpful for them. I would think it was. I mean, you if you could talk about the elephant in the room. Yes. Yeah. Hell yeah. of a start. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I gave that it's, guy a lot of credit, whoever he was. for. Yeah. Saying, yeah. You know, hey, there's an elephant in the room and you're not helping it. <laughs> Let me stress for our dear listeners, that is the exception, right? Oh, of course. I mean, we've had tricky stuff come up, but never like that, you know. Wow. And it's actually when the tricky stuff comes up, you know it's working. Right? It's I would think, right? Yeah. Because, you know, when I'm um, coaching, and I was so surprised by this, how often clients will will start to cry. Mm. And and I'm like, wow, we're getting into the meat of this, whatever this is. And, and it is, it's really, you said that, holding the safe space. That's what it's about. Yeah. And what I'm finding, too, is a lot of clients have never been heard. No one ever listened to their problems before. No one ever gave them a safe space to say, I really struggle with this challenge. 
and it's it's a gift. We I was about get, to say what a gift what a gift right? you're giving them, Catherine. Yeah, well, absolutely. Both of us. I mean, we get to watch this transformation as people who feel they're broken in some way discover eh, they're not broken. In and a lot of times, they're just differently wired. They have different brain wiring than you know neurotypical people. Absolutely. Well, and we are hungry as a species to communicate with feelings. Right. In a way, it's that is the creme de la creme of communication. Absolutely. It's communication that has feelings in it, you know. In the corporate workplace, corporations tend to work really hard to scrub all the feeling out of yep. all of the communication. So it's just data, right? And there's probably good reasons for that, but it's also quite damaging in other ways. That's why I think it's important for human resources people to really think like, is my team actually able to get in touch with how they're feeling about stuff in a safe way and communicate about it? Yeah. And it's so interesting you say that for two reasons. The first is when I've been writing, I was writing from a very corporate standpoint. I'm an English lit major as well. So you want to talk about corporate. And my writing wasn't landing with people. And so I worked with a writing coach for a year. And one of the things we discovered, and partly this was through the podcast, was that how I speak is the antithesis of how I was writing. So, of course, it wasn't landing. People were like, wait, you don't match your writing. Your writing doesn't match you. So one of the things I did to write in the first year, other than find the voice on the podcast, was to talk into a phone when I had something I had to say. And now I can write in my speaking voice. So that's part one. Part two is really about you because as I was reviewing your website, one of the things you wrote is that improv is the antidote for the loneliness and alienation of our overtech world. Mm. And I just resonated with that so much. We Mm. think we're more connected through technology. And in some ways we are. Hey, I'm friends now on Facebook with someone I hadn't seen in 40 some odd years. I was able to reconnect with her, but we're not more connected in other ways because we're substituting that instead of that real genuine take a walk with someone, you know, hold their hand after they've been through a tragedy. I mean, we're going through some stuff right now with very dear friends where he's lucky to be alive. we always try to get together and it's really hard and, you know, texting and whatever. And so we'd made a commitment that we'd get together for the ladies' birthdays in December and the guys' birthdays in late April, early May. But what's happened is, of course, that, that get together didn't happen because it's a fairly recent situation. But my husband's been going up there and taking him lunch once a week and they have lunch together mm. at a time where, you know, his friend needs him more than ever. And, wow. and it's, it's beautiful, beautiful to watch a friendship that's lasted for 20 some odd years and that they get yeah. this precious time together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a very different kind of connection than just, hey, a quick test, laughing, you know, sending a gift, whatever. Well, I was about to say, you know, what do we mean when we say connection? Right. I think one of the dangers that we that our youth is navigating right now is the notion that being Facebook friends means you're connected to somebody. Right. Right. And to me, it, it, it really goes back to the territory that we were just discussing. I, you know, I'm connected to somebody when we're sharing our feelings with each other. It's just that simple. 
if we're talking about deadlines and budgets and we see each other every week and we have a good working relationship, I don't necessarily feel that I'm connected to you, right? One of our taglines at Bright Invention is real human connection. And that's that's the improv piece that in order to improvise, you have to become an extraordinary listener, an extraordinary teammate, and sort of develop a sense of your own potential creatively, which is, guess what? Endless. Endless. And that scares people, too, when they suddenly realize, wow, I could stand on stage and start talking and never stop. And I'm like, absolutely. I could, too. <laughs> and yet, you know, really do. Right? <laughs> and nobody, everybody would get up after five minutes and leave, and I'd be by myself. But yeah, I mean, we are endlessly creative people, and I think we endlessly long for, again, that safe connecting. I think the challenge is that many of us have been wounded in our lives by hurtful emotional connections. Right. And so in this way, you know, a good improv class or a good Im- improv experience is a healing process too. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah. I can definitely see that. So the, the last thing I want to talk about here on improv is you mentioned the remarkable relationship between time and improv. And I would be uh, doing my listeners a disservice if I didn't talk about, I don't know, time or productivity or anything. So let's talk about that. What is that about? Sure. So let me start by describing the experience of the scripted actor, which I spent 30 years of my life focused on scripts and being a scripted actor. So a script is like a roadmap and you're the car and you see the end point. And as the show goes on, you get closer and closer and closer to it. And to some extent, everything you're doing is calibrated towards landing at that end point, right? So in some ways, scripted actors are not entirely present because they're thinking about the next thing all the time. Oh, okay. All right. So so you and I are in this intense scene, right? And I know in a half a page, you burst into tears because of something I say. I'm thinking about that moment a half a page before we get there. Right. Even if I try not to, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I want to make sure I'm setting Catherine up for this big moment right? I got a note about this yesterday, right? She doesn't want me to be so close to her, so I'm going to stand back, right? So there's this way in which we are kind of outside of ourselves and in the future, you know, a bit, right? Improv is extraordinarily present tense. Right. And so improv relentlessly and mercilessly puts you in the moment that you're in (laughs) with the other person. Right. And now there's there's a caveat to that, which is that the improv that I teach and explore is long form improvisation, which is also called narrative improvisation, in which the two actors are constructing a story together. Right. It's a little so there's a little tiny bit of your brain that's like, I wonder where this is going. Right. But that's different than having an endpoint. You know, that's about making choices with my partner that are going to take us on an interesting journey but I have no idea where. Here's another great improv slogan. Some people jump from point A to point B. Improvisers jump from point A. That's it. It reminds me on a personal level of before our daughter was born, whose name Caroline, we would say BC before Caroline. We Mm -hmm. would get up on a Saturday morning and hop in the car with absolutely no destination whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And we'd just get on the road. 
And then while on the road, we'd start to talk. Do we want to go inland? You know, do we feel like waterfalls? Do we feel like parks? Do we feel like going to the beach? And it would just sort of evolve, but it wouldn't happen until we were in the car. That's beautiful. And it is. And it's really, was really fun. And when the pandemic happened, probably around about fall, I said to my husband, you know, we're not traveling. You know, I love to travel. I love to go new places. Let's bring this back and do this again and start mm-hmm. just going random places. Mm-hmm. And it was so much fun, all in Connecticut, because, you know, we weren't really supposed to travel outside of our state. Right. And it was a complete blast. And mm-hmm. we kind of put it on hold throughout the winter because various things that just life has come up. And on Sunday, our wedding anniversary, by the time you hear this recording, this will have already happened. We're going up to Guilford because on one of our random trips, we went to Guilford, found this really cute brunch restaurant, fell in love mm-hmm. with it. And so that's the way we will have spent our anniversary. You know? Wonderful. And it's super Wonderful. fun. And it, it, so we we're kind of going back to a same place we've been before, but it's, it's capturing that essence. And I think, you know, improv does this too. It's capturing the essence of the moment, you know, being Absolutely. present. Absolutely. is going on. Yeah. You were talking before the podcast about you're scared of improv, but I'm going to tell you, Catherine, just from that story about those drives, you're a natural. You're a natural improviser because that's what those drives are. Those are driving improvisations. It's fabulous. It It is. Yeah. Fun. I really do love doing that. We really have a good time. Yeah. Sadly, we're improvising our way into wrapping up here. I'd love to Mm -hmm. know your favorite productivity pointer. Okay. Productivity pointer. So I use an app called Asana. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I discovered about myself as I began to build my own company is that I actually love checking things off of boxes, off of lists, right? So Asana has all of these, it's a productivity app. It has all of these different kinds of bells and whistles you have to sort of learn its language like you do with all these different apps, you know, about projects versus tasks and stuff like that. But it was a game changer for me in terms of figuring out which hat am I wearing and <laughs> which moment, which hat is the priority hat I have to wear today because I wear so many. Right. And so that's just been it's been it's interesting, too. I've tried to get other people on my team to join. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Right. So I used Asana for six years. Oh boy. Avid Asana user. And for nothing to do with Asana, which is a fabulous app. I have no negative thing I could possibly say about it. I just burned out on it. Yeah. And then I went on a journey to find a different app. Mm -hmm. So I tried a lot of different apps. And so I'll give you a little piece of what might be going on with some of your people. Trello tends to be more visual of an app. Asana may not appeal to the way their brain thinks, but if they were for you, kind of like, too bad. Um, (laughs) Too bad. This is what we're using, team. Right. Yeah. I went over to Todoist, and Todoist is not terribly different from Asana. Huh. And I'm loving it. I've been using Todoist for a year and a half, two years. Uh, So I get it. Some people also are paper planners. They're not digital planners. That's a whole other topic that we could spend an hour and a half talking about, but we won't. But I'm a big fan of Asana. And if you're just starting out in a business or even if you've had a business a long time and you've never had project management software, Asana's free. You can get yeah. most of the functionality in a free yeah. It's really yeah. a cracker jack. You know, I have 
two or three different applications that are beeping at me on my on my phone all day. So yeah. yeah. The Apple reminder app, you know, all of it. So I use the silence feature on my phone. <laughs> oh, okay. That's I don't good. want to hear it at all. I can't have beeping and binging. But that's yeah. just me. How can people find you? Our website is easy to remember, bright invention, one word and no S, brightinvention.org. All sorts of ways to contact us directly through there. That website will ha- has a link for creative corporate training that will take you right to the creative corporate training program. So that's probably the easiest way. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Sure. You've been listening to the Uncluttered Office Podcast available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and www.productivitybydesign.com. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. If you like what you've heard, please share this episode with someone you think needs it. I would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews make my heart sing and can help even more people find the gifts in their productivity challenges. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.